the ideas coming from some one person might not click with yours. So how do you use that? How do you use that idea that's coming from this person that seems to be off the wall? Maybe they got something to that. All right, we are here today with Kurt Moody on the Gravity Podcast. Award-winning architectural designer Kurt Moody has a prosperous 48-year career driven by passion to break into a field with little minority representation. He took a considerable risk and opened the doors of Moody and Associates in 1982 in the midst of a depressed economy. At the beginning, the firm was just Kurt and a graduate architecture student, but by the end of the first year, the firm had grown to nine staff members. Sensing an opportunity to position the firm for growth, Kurt joined forces with the engineering firm Howard E. Nolan and Associates, and Moody Nolan was born. Today, Moody Nolan is the largest African-American-owned and managed architectural firm in the country, and the firm's designs have received more than 330 awards, more than any other minority architectural firm in the United States. Kurt continues to use his success to help others, serving as a role model for others to continue to work toward their dreams. Kurt, it's awesome to have you here. Thanks so much for taking the time. I've admired uh, your work and gotten to know Jonathan, and and certainly the reputation of the firm is continuing to grow with tremendous accolades, which we can talk about. Um, but um, wanted to just start off welcoming you and 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 taking a second to thank you for joining me. Oh, again, Brent, but we uh, are very happy to be one of the many uh, people you talk to along this line of just getting to understand what we do all of us you know take a different path so therefore you know it there are stories out there and i'm sure mine is a little different than somebody else traveling uh this you know in this profession architecture is a strange profession for a lot of people people wonder why why would you choose this kind of thing so that could be something we can discuss as well yeah definitely because it was something that i started to go down the path of at some point uh, earlier in my life, which we can talk about. But let's let's start at the beginning. I'd love to just start off by understanding what your early life was like, your childhood, your your family upbringing, you know anything that you can share from from your early days? Yeah, I was uh, one of uh, in our family, uh, I was the first family member. Uh, none of my family had really gone to college prior to me. And therefore, you know, we, there was a lot of pride in me taking the path. Uh, early in our stages, I grew up, I have uh, two, three brothers, brothers and a sister. So it's family of five kids. And um, we lived in the, uh, on the north side of Columbus in a, basically a row house. And, and again, my family, uh, my father worked in a factory and uh, my mother was a cook for uh, youth services. In early childhood, you know, we were, you know, income was very tight. And we lived in a two-bedroom house in which my the th- uh, three boys, <laughs> the four, uh, four, four of us really, my three other brothers, uh, we slept in a room, um, bunk bed. So it was four of us in there. And my sister had the other bedroom, but my mother and father actually uh, had a a bed a, a bedroom in the living room. It's actually couch that converted to a bed, and and that's how we lived. I mean, we were very tight, uh, but very close. And as we were growing up, you know, my mother especially was very very person of faith, and uh, 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 so we went to church every Sunday. <laughs> she made sure. Now, my father didn't go, but my she took us along. <laughs> Uh, every time. And uh, so, so I grew up with uh, an understanding that uh, faith was important So, and, and have continued that. As we've continued to, to evolve, I'll say, what happened as I was getting into junior high school is I found that I had some athletic talent and therefore uh, I started getting interested in sports and was fortunate, played for the Boys and Girls Club and all that the YMCA until um, junior high school and then played basketball in junior high school. Eventually uh, played basketball, football, and track. 
and um, uh, gained a scholarship in all sports, basketball, mm-hmm. football, track. Uh, <laughs> difficulty, though, was all the schools that offered me scholarships didn't teach architecture. Mm. And I had learned in junior high school, I wanted to be an architect. I didn't know what that would call an architect. Yeah. I, I wanted to do buildings. I wanted to design buildings. Uh-huh. Let me just ask you if I could just hop in there for a second. Because um, I think that's really interesting that you knew at a young age. I mean, junior high school, you know, you're mm-hmm. 13 mm-hmm. years old, give or take. And, and do you remember kind of what it was that you were attracted to? I mean, you, you said, you know, you didn't really know architecture or what that meant, but but what was it about kind of building buildings that that like first appealed to you? Um, I, I was actually a, uh, a friend of mine uh, that I had played sports with. His father was a contractor. And his father had gone to school for architecture and only went there a year or so before he became a contractor. So he drew his own plans. And so when I went over to his house to play, he had a drafting table and he had some, uh, I thought were just, I didn't understand anybody could draw like that. I saw those drawings and I thought, I thought it was a print. I thought somebody just photographed something. And, and then he told me, you know, he, his father drew those things. And so I, could, I wanted to go over his house all the time to look at those drawings because I just had never seen anything like that. And uh, so that's where the interest started. It just somebody mm-hmm. pulled me to that. Mm-hmm. And I saw that. I wanted to do that. And, uh, and it just continued from there. It's an interesting thing, you know, as I said, you know, I also, I started down a path in college as wanting to be an architect. And mm-hmm. I wonder how common that experience is because I had a similar experience. My dad um, was an aluminum siding salesman. <laughs> it was funny because you know what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't even know what aluminum yeah, siding exactly. is anymore. You know, um, but he sold siding and windows, and um, and I remember, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, going to his office and seeing the blueprints mm-hmm. sitting on the table, and there was something about it that really felt like uh, a calling for me. Like, I don't know why that really grabbed me. And, and it's almost, you know, uh, you know, I don't know kind of how much of the, the church, you know, really uh, got into you. But, you know, to me, it's like callings have to come from somewhere. Yeah. You know, and, and it feels very, you know, kind of spiritual almost. Well, I agree. I think it was spiritual. That was... You know, if I think back and think if I had not ever been exposed to that, I probably I I know I would have been pushed a different direction. I was I was pushed to go in a different direction, uh, but I was so committed to uh, to I wanted to do that that it didn't make any difference what somebody you know counseled me uh, to do. I was going I was going to try that. It's just that if I don't try this, I'm you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to feel right. What were you getting pushed to do and by who? Well, my, my, uh, my school teachers, um, um, you know, I go back far enough to when I was in uh, grade school, I was an average student. I mean, I wasn't, you know, acing courses. I'm just an average student, but I was that way because, you know, the coach and everybody said, you know, you got it in order, in order to stay eligible, you have to have a C average. And, and, and I just worked either C average. And uh, so my counselor asked, you know, well, what kind of profession do you want to be? And, and I said, well, I want to draw buildings. And, and they said, well, no, you want to be a draftsman at that time. And I said, no, no, who, what does a draftsman do? And they told me and I said, uh, yeah, but they only do what somebody else tells them to do, right? So I want to come up with my own ideas. And they said, no, your, your grades aren't such that we think that's a career path for you. And so I was advised by the counselor not to seek that. And I said, no, I, I want to do that. And, and um, she went to my coach and she told my coach, you know, he's heading down a path and he's going to be disappointed. And, and you should really counsel him that that's just not a field. And she said purposely to me, she said, you know, we just don't see people like you in that profession. We don't see anybody that is African-American. And she said, rich people tend to hire those kinds of people. And, and just in this society, there's not a lot of rich 
black people. And, and therefore it would be tough for you to be hired. And, and, and I'm, again, I'm in the seventh grade when she's telling me this, she goes to my coach and he comes back and he says, I can't counsel you, uh, to do, go that profession unless you can do better in math because she's telling me you're doing not doing good you're just doing c and i said i can do as good as i need to do so this was by the time I, this i was in eighth grade i said well i'll take algebra two and i will i'll get an a in it and he says well you you show me that and and i will then support you being an architect and for the next uh quarter my lowest score was a 97 on all my tests, one in math. Uh, I studied. I paid attention. I did things that prior to that, I, I had no motivation because I was just playing sports. But now that I want to be an architect, they told me I need it. Uh, I passed uh, that course and got a 97 to A in the course. And I told you, Coach C, I told you uh, <laughs> that I will admit I settled back down to just being C's. <laughs> 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 uh, you just wanted to prove yourself. I just wanted to prove myself. Yeah. What about uh, your parents? How how did your parents feel about you wanting to go this path? My mother uh, was was very supportive. My father, he was an artist. Uh, he drew a lot of stuff, and he was very good. But he never made it as an artist, and didn't feel career could ever pay anything for him. So he was not as he didn't know if I could do it. I mean, it was like. He didn't see anybody like us either. And the problem was there were no role models. I couldn't go to a magazine like uh, some of my classmates and find a person who looked like me that was doing this stuff. It was so, therefore, you're not encouraged, had no exposure to it. I only knew this contractor, you know, my friend's father. I didn't have anybody to talk to. What does an architect do? What do they really do? None of that. So, all through school, I'm being told, maybe I should be a coach. I was told I should be a coach. You know, you're good at athletics. You ought to think about being a coach. That's going to be a much easier career for you. And uh, so I go through high school and uh, no, and I haven't changed my mind. I still, I got to give it a try. I walk on at Ohio State because I don't have a school that teaches architecture, you know, that, that offer me a scholarship in sports. So my coach, my varsity basketball coach called Fred Taylor at the time, said, Could you, would you mind if he comes out for your team? Because I only have so many slots for walk-ones, if, if at all. And he said, he can come out. Yeah. Well, I went out and made the varsity. So uh, as freshman, it was freshman first. And my first year, we, there was only freshman ball. So I played freshman and then made the varsity the following year. But uh, then they discouraged me not to play sports. The architecture program says, no, 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 you can't, you can't play sports and do this, you know, too demanding. You got to give that up. And I kept telling the, uh, the professor, I said, hey, you get one chance. I said, if I don't do this, I can't come back and go into sports. I can't play varsity sports after I graduate. I said, this is the only chance. And I figure I can handle both. And uh, I got a lot of pushback on that. Let me ask you something just to hop in for a second because I'm I'm curious. You're getting a lot of pushback, you know, and and um and I I really you know want to just kind of highlight this idea that there was nobody that looked like you. Mm-hmm. And and so there's a lot of like nobody that looks like you in the field, no role mm-hmm. models. Mm-hmm. Um I don't the the counselor in in middle school is she an African American woman is she no. yeah no. white woman yeah. yeah so so you know you've got nobody really telling you that you can do the things you want to do either yeah. directly in your life and or in the world at large and yet you keep kind of saying yeah I think you're wrong and and I'm what I'm curious about is like what is that? Is that like is there is there some kind of um, like strength courage part of you that just wants to prove people wrong, likes proving people wrong? Is that it? Was it just a passion, a conviction? Um, I mean, where did you get the strength, the conviction to keep going despite the fact that everybody's telling you 
And there's no evidence that it's actually been done before. You know, a lot of times, you know, you can say, well, was the prejudice involved with some of these? Because it was, but it was on both sides. I didn't have black people or white people think I could do it. Because the, <laughs> the black people were thinking, we never see anybody like us in this profession. That's not a profession that we are in. And, and the sad thing is, is uh, the counselors, the white counselors, they hadn't either. <laughs> so it wasn't like they were speaking to, uh, yeah, yeah, you can do this because look at the mo- look at the model. This person, they didn't have, we didn't, didn't have that. So it wasn't they were bad people. They just couldn't see. And the truth of the matter is, other than me having passion for it, I didn't have a second choice. It's not like I thought, well, you know, if I don't do this, I really want to do this over here. I didn't want to do anything else. It was just that simple. It was like, well, if I fail, uh, you know, I, I just have to, I have to go that way. I have to see. And, um, and I think back about how many of my friends had counselors where they said, you need to do this and that. And they just went that direction. Here, mm-hmm. saying, don't do this. And I'm, going against the odds. And I've, uh, it, it was nothing other than just um, the passion because I can't, I can't think of anything else. I, I know that there may be a lot of kids in my situation that would listen and do something other than what they really want to do. And I feel for them because I'm sure some of them get down at a certain point and say, I wish I'd have been able to do this or that. But I, I didn't have that. I went ahead and slow steps, but uh, that's the path I took. Yeah, well, you know, it's it is a really important message because I think that for any child in in society today, there's a lot of um, well-intended people, even if we're willing to just kind of benefit the doubt, say well-intended people who think that they know what's best for children, who think that they know what the the path looks like, you know, you, you, you graduate from high school, you go to college, you get a job, you know, maybe you, you need internships. There's, you know, steps, right? You have a career, even to the extent, you know, you, you get married, you have kids, you have a family, right? And there's a, there's a societal path that seems to be really laid out and thick in the, in the fabric of our society. And then you layer in the racial issues, right? Then you, then you start layering in this idea that certain people can do certain things and there's privilege and there's discrimination and there's, there's uh, history where, you know, you've got, you know, like in your case, there weren't any black architects. So, you know, why, why would there, why is that even something that could be a thing? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, you know, on a lot of layers, you know, one, just societal fabric norm. I mean, I know as a parent, you know, you think you, you you know what's best for your kids, but there's all kinds of new emerging things I don't really know about, you know? I mean, guys are 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 playing video games and they're celebrity rock stars making tons of money, you know? Yeah. Um I, I wouldn't have known that. You know? So so but but really, you know, when you layer in the 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 kind of groundbreaking territory that you are in that message is even really more important, especially I think for minorities and people of color, you know, African Americans, women, you know, anyone who's trying to pave new ground. It's it really is an important message, and I just want to kind of like make sure I hear exactly what you 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 would say the message is. Uh, several years ago, after all this time, I coined a phrase which. Uh, kind of summed it up. And, and the phrase was, do what you can, when you can, with what you've got, while you've got it. And, and, and basically, that story is too many of us make excuses of, you know, why they can't do something because they, let's say they don't have the resources, they don't have, you know, talent or, or just don't have the time. And it's like, but how are you using what you have? You know, how are you right now? You don't have to wait five years. When I get five, five years from now, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. My whole career has been, I can't 
you know, like I, I sports really helped me. I'll tell you that uh, as as um, as a practitioner in architecture, sports helped me because it taught me not to be afraid of competition. It taught me that though I wasn't the tallest guy on the floor, that I could use some other asset that I had. I wasn't um, the best shooter on the floor. What else am I going to do? If I go up against the number one team out there, there's still a chance that you could beat them. Uh, so it's, it's that attitude I kind of developed from sports. And I, I, I use it in architecture as well because, you know, if you look at uh, sports and I'll use basketball as an acronym, uh, as a point guard, my job was to make sure that whoever was the best scorer that night got the ball more often than somebody else. So distribute. How do I distribute and make sure I use the talents of that person? And I have to gauge each night. It's not every not every leader scoring on a team team is uh, leading score is it's going to be the leading score every night. Sometimes they're off. Who's on? I have to find that person. And uh, I have to use, you know, my own sense of, of playing how to gauge that. So in, in, in business, I found that it's a very similar thing. I have to use the talents within my firm. And that sometimes the talent is not going to be that person that seems to be creating the most talent, you know, best designs ever. It can be somebody else who just clicks with this potential client better than somebody else. It's, it's, it's those kinds of calls that I have to make. And I learned that I can do that. And, and again, and I can use my talent and leverage my talent with others. That was the team. It didn't always have to be that I was the one that was a shining star every time. It could be many, many different people. And that team concept is what we employ today in our office. And it's, it, it works so far. Yeah, it's part of why I uh, enjoy doing this podcast is because I do think that we have these experiences in life that really turn out to be uh, incredible learning experiences that do shape us into who we are. And you know, there's been a lot discussed and written about sports and, and the lessons learned. And you know, you often hear this kind of at the high school level. You know, maybe even at the college level, although that's gotten to be kind of a little more about winning than than learning. You know, but um, you know. I, my experience, and I never played sports at that level. I still am pretty active playing sports today. And mm-hmm. I find there to be tremendous, tremendous opportunities to learn through sport. And, and I think sometimes it's uh, it's kind of diminished a little as, as just a entertainment or a hobby or some other thing, right? But, but you know, and this is... I, I actually think it's true for anything that you... Uh, choose to engage in. There's incredible opportunities to learn. Sports, I think, is really one of those things, and it's and it's not surprising for me to hear how you've really used that life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't to get a scholarship, right? All right, and so it didn't pay off in that kind of way, right? But boy, has it paid off for you as you've you know built a business and, and a career. And and learned, you know, all of these lessons that you've been able to apply into your work, into your life. Mm-hmm. And and again, it's it's not unique to me. I talk to many other athletes, and 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 they will say the same thing um, that you know what sports has done to prepare them for other things they do in their life is very very important because. You know, the encouragement you get from a team is very, very important. And your coach is telling you, yeah, 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 you know, do this. They put you in a position to do. And, and therefore, they're saying, we have confidence. You're going to play this spot, you know, you know, against so-and-so. And so, and then your teammates, they all rally around you too. And so what comes from coming together as a team is people supporting each other. And you say, there's, there's something some positive about that. There's something positive because they don't, they didn't grow up like I did, uh, you know, they don't go home to what I go home to, but they're all still on the same page right now. And so how you, how you capture that is very, very important. And, and that's, you know, in any office like our, I don't think just ours, but any office working together 
is not as simple as just telling people go in that room and work together. Some of it is challenging because the ideas coming from some one person might not click with yours. So how do you use that? How do you use that idea that's coming from this person that seems to be off the wall? Maybe they got something to that though. Maybe that idea they're talking about, you wouldn't have thought about on your own. And now your idea gets better because boy, that person made me reconsider my approach that I wouldn't have done in there if they weren't in the room. So what we kind of push in the firm is diversity of thought, diversity of people, diversity of thought. How do we bring those other minds together and let it push whoever is leading the effort to, uh, to, to, a better job, to do a better job because now they're hearing from voices that they wouldn't normally hear for. So that, that's mm-hmm. expanded. It's taking the team concept and then broadening it in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and I want to get back to kind of how you find your way through college and, and kind of get into this business because, you know, boy, you, you got into it and, and have, have been in it ever since and had a ton of success. And, but, but before we do that, you know, what, what I hear when I hear you sharing these lessons and these strategies and techniques to really, you know, be a team and, and to get the best out of your team, your coworkers, your company, it, tur- it, it sounds like you ended up a coach after all. <laughs> you know that is right. That is exactly right. And, uh, and it, but it's good. It's it's call me a player coach. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm in the game too. Uh, yeah. I recognize that uh, what everybody, what others bring, and and I think that's an important lesson is, you know, recognizing talents of others. Uh, and, and very, very important, I think, to the success of, of, of the company as we continue forward. Yeah. Well, and it is an interesting thing. You know, in my case, I spent a year, maybe a year and a half in, a, in an architecture program when I realized what an architect does. <laughs> you know, I got past history and, and the early design courses and realized, oh, wait, physics, um, I've got to actually make sure these buildings. <laughs> Get built and stand the test of time. You know, mm-hmm. this is not this is not actually what I want to do. I just happen to love architecture, <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. and, but but you know what I was able to do was bring those other parts of me to the thing that I really wanted to do, which was create, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you know, it is interesting how you've been able to bring these various parts of you to be able to be player coach. You know, and I think that's something you know people need to to hear and know too. That you know, sometimes it isn't exactly the thing you think it is. That when you embrace the whole you, there's something even better that that you know emerges. Exactly, and, and again, as we uh, have grown, and you start to find out that so and so in the company has has a strength much more than yours, and and the, the ability to realize those kinds of things um, is important because um, what I found out, and, and especially in my case in growth, in the beginning, I designed every building that we did. <laughs> no one mm-hmm. put their hands on. But to grow, I found that I couldn't do that. And, and I can't do that and take care of uh, the bookkeeping. I can't you know, do that and take care of other things and uh, deal with consultants. So Delegation had become a very, very important thing. But knowing uh, when and for my sanity, I I continue to keep a certain part of of the work that I do. When when I look at why did I get in this profession, you know, business will drive you to do things, of course, and take all your time. But I got in this profession because of architecture. I like to design buildings. I like yeah. And so I, I continue to hold on a little bit of that um, as we. Uh, go and I'll design a certain amount of projects throughout the year uh, to stay, stay involved. And it also helps to be engaged in discussion with my teammates on that kind of level versus just when are we going to send out the next bill and you know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, good. Let, let's back up now. I want to um, really learn kind of how you ended up doing what you were told you can't do, which, mm-hmm. which by the way, you know, 
everybody I've ever known to either play college sports or go through an architecture program has had to be fully immersed in one or the other. You know, so that advice I actually understand why, you know, somebody would say that because yeah. both are so demanding. But you did it. You made it through doing both. Just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. And and uh, there was a rigid, residual effect uh, of me doing both that uh, ended up benefiting me in a lot of ways. You know, in college, of course, as you just identified, um, the course level, one of the complaints about architecture, as you know, is that on the books you have uh, X amount of credit hours, but in real classroom hours is way beyond that. Uh, so if you sign up for a five-hour design class all week, the class is three hours a day for five days a week. So you're spending 15 hours of design time in a where you're only getting five hours of credit. The other, most of the other courses aren't that way. You you sign up for two-hour credit, you have two hours of class, you know. And uh, but the problem I ran into, quite frankly, was that the design studio overlapped practice. Design studio was still going on until five o'clock, and practice started at four. So I had not only had to leave the studio and go practice, and then come back to the studio to finish anything I started. Uh, so how I used my time became very, very important. I could not manage like everybody else. I had to manage my time totally different. And also, what it taught me, without me knowing that it was teaching me, it's one of those things that it's kind of like. Hate to do this, hate to do this. Unless I know, I I learned a whole lot. It it taught me that I could not waste time on going down paths of a design just for the fact of just studying. That I had to make decisions on a design approach based upon a lot of information quickly, more quickly than my other students, because I didn't have time that they had available to them, and and therefore. After a while, I find that I was discarding things that I talked to one of my other classmates. They're still pondering over, why is this this way? Why can't I do this? I had long passed. The reason you can't do it is because that doesn't work and the reason it doesn't work. And so move on. Don't keep pondering. Maybe I can do it this way. It's over. Go down another path. And therefore, I reached design conclusions and, 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 uh, and, and on my work faster than most of my students just because of the, the practice thing. So I get out of college and I go to take my... That's really interesting, by the way. Yeah. You know, I mean, because you, you took what like seemed impossible and a pretty big challenge and you learn how to turn it into a strength, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. And and, and, and I use it even today. It's, that's a, maybe to a point I get, I frustrate some of my staff members. Yeah. Because... When I took my exam, and one of the things is, and I did, I take the exam twice, just so you know, uh, not the, uh, because of uh, failing it, it, because I passed it twice. What happened is I was too, I was not eligible in Ohio to take the exam, but I was eligible in Washington, D.C. It's the same universal design, design uh, exam. So I go to, and I design project in D.C., and it's, it's, I passed. I, I wanted to use it in Ohio. They rejected it. Said, no, you took that before you were eligible. So I take it again in Ohio and pass. But here's the real issue. I finished way early. I'm looking around and I'm finished with design. I'm finished with my, my concept and everything. And other people are just pushing it. Like, I don't know if I made it. The reason was because of that, that college thing where I'm making decisions. I'm practical. I'm getting to the root of the problem quicker than my other classmates. So in our studio, I challenge our designers, I get do this, this, and they'll come up with concepts and I'll come back to them and I'll come up with a concept in half the time. And they'll say, well, well how, how did you resolve this? And I'll say, well, first of all, that doesn't need to be resolved because that's not part of the problem. The problem is X. And, and so, you know, that's what it evolved into without me even knowing it. It was just yeah. happened. Yeah, it's really you have a and 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 I I would, I assume that the experience you had balancing those two things did help you hone that skill. But I also wonder if because you know in a lot of ways you know I I kind of am a somebody who likes to jump to the to the end. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of patience for, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of, you know, fact finding and really mm-hmm. stewing mm-hmm. over things. I, but, but, but part of the reason why is because I can see the end pretty clearly. It seems almost like maybe that's part of just your kind of unique ability is that you can kind of get a vision and see it pretty quickly and don't need to take a lot of time to, to, to go make that happen. Is that true? That is true. Uh, but I'm much like you in that way. I can see the end. Just seem, it seems to be that I see the end of something ahead of some of our other people. Yeah. Uh, we, and, you know, we got fast people. Too. I mean, there are yeah. lots of fast designers and fast uh, workers. Uh, but it, 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 is not, it is not average. I mean, it, you know, to think that way. Not everybody does, as you well know. There's just those that just aren't comfortable if they don't study five times. They got yeah. to study five times. Yeah, yeah. It's really about vision, I think. You, you know, you've got a vision, and, and and let's talk a little bit about the vision you had for your business. If if my notes serve me well, you started your business in 1982. Is that Correct. right? And, and is that right out of school you start the business? No, I actually went to work for uh, Trot and Bean at the time. Okay. As a designer and local firm. Being, local firm. I, yeah, yeah, I know the name. Yeah. I also worked for Brubaker Branding College um, okay. in Summers. And so, but I wasn't eligible to pass the, you know, until I had so much experience to take the exam. Gotcha. Time. So I had to wait. And by the time I had the right amount of experience based on my birth date and all that stuff, it came to 1982. Okay, let me ask you this. What was it like to be now an African-American architect in Columbus? Um, I'm I'm imagining still you're you're one of a few. Um, You know, it's it's, it's, got to be a very small group. What was it like to get a job, to get employed, to be respected? Were there any obstacles still trying to kind of break through as a black man in this field? Yes, but it, I was helped at that time by some conditions where firms were being challenged to, you know, what's the makeup of your staff, you know, you know, and and do you have any diversity in your staff? And at that time, it wasn't being pushed to a large degree, but it was just it for public projects. Let's say firms that were pursuing public projects using taxpayer money were more concerned than firms that only did private sector work. And so I happened to land the job with Brewmaker Brandt at the time because they were doing the Port Columbus Airport at the time. And city council, which Jerry Hammond was president, African-American, he actually said, how many, how many black people on your staff? He asked them directly that question. They said, none. And then since they were asked that question, uh, they look, went out looking for somebody and they found me. <laughs> And um, so they offered me to come to work for them because they had been asked that question. They wanted to be able to show counsel that they were addressing it. And, uh, and then when I worked for, worked for Trot, um, uh, they were starting to do more public projects. But also, Dick Trot at the time, Dick was very, uh, very open-minded. Uh, Dick, he just saw my talent. He just said, you, you know, you're pretty good. And, uh, and he didn't care about anything else. Now, the difference is I wasn't meeting with clients at that time. I was in a back room doing whatever I'm being asked to do. And I'm not exposed to clients because they don't see that there's a black architect in the back room doing work. I later found out that that was a challenge because I made a joke. I said, you know, as I grew my firm and I hired people because we were designated an African-American owned firm, that it truly looked like when I hired the same talent from a firm that this person was well-regarded. I said, you know, it's almost like they lose half the brain when they come to Moody Nolan because they don't give, we don't get the same credit for having that great talented person that other firms got when I first started. That, that was a big deal. And also at the time, and, and this is 2021, there's still some of this still going on. I go to a certain part of the Ohio. I go to a certain part of the country. and there just wasn't an opening. There wasn't, there wasn't comfort level 
if I'm pursuing a project and there's, let's say, a shortlist of five firms and we're the only African-American on the firm, but the committee is 100% white uh, you know, individuals, there was a question of Mark that kept coming up. Well, what are people going to say if we hired that person versus the four others that we had a chance to hire? And especially in our community, there's not a, a large percentage of African-Americans anyway. So if we happen to hire this person, unless they are just Superman or something, we are going to get pushback. So I kept running into that and I kept calling it, and later I call it the Michael Jordan effect. It's like, okay, we have to be a superstar in order to get hired for, so that it can be justified. He just so much better. That's why they got hired. And we weren't always so much better. We, we were good as good as. And being as good as was a challenge in certain markets. And, and but <clears throat> go back to my passion wanting to be an architect and gets back in my athletic days. That door is not open. What's, I'm, what am I going to do? You don't give up. You try to plot another approach. Mm-hmm. So I found myself having to strategize differently than my competition mm-hmm. to consider yeah. not just my talent. I'd consider other things. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you've uh, been in business now since 82 mm-hmm. successfully um, for decades and, and been the recipient of, I mean, I, I think 300 plus design awards and mm-hmm. all kinds of incredible accolades. You've obviously figured out how to open those doors, push those doors. When your fair share of work, you've got a firm that's you know well regarded across the country doing work in I don't know how many states, but you know it, you know all over the country. Mm-hmm. So I guess you know my question to you is: as we sit here in 2021. I know there's doors still closed. Mm-hmm. I know that you know you might not win some jobs, even though you are a uh, you know super uh, mm-hmm. hero. You know, um, so so talk to me a little bit about how things have changed and kind of your view of where we stand today. Still, you know, today, um, and and let me just you know refer to 2020. 2020, as you know, had its ups and downs, not just COVID. You know, you had racial tension. You had all these different kinds of uh, groups that have, have basically split the country apart in a lot of different ways. So you have to deal with all of that. So, you know, how do you operate in that kind of uh, situation? Well, what's, what has happened is that the Floyd situation, as terrible as it was, um, has put a has people thinking about maybe this isn't a this isn't good that we're as a people this way. What can we do to change? So we've seen uh, some encouraging signs from major corporations that are looking inward, saying we just we're going to do better. And in the past, you know, we might present our qualifications, we might go up and and look at, at X, Y, and Z and try to make the best case we can why we're the most appropriate firm. But uh, we are seeing some signs where certain corporations are saying, we need to look at you more seriously than we did before, because we're finding that we haven't done much in that area. Just just been the way the company is going, we haven't done it. And now we think because of equity um, uh, of, of people, that minority groups of all sorts, uh, there needs to be some more sharing of equity. And the only way to do that is do a bit more business with those kinds of entities. I got help in a, by Les Wechner, Wechner very, very directly. He didn't even know he was doing it. <laughs> he, um, way back when the mall at Total Crossing was being done, Les Wechner challenged a guy at the Chamber of Commerce, um, uh, Lee Johnson. He said, Lee, I want you to go out and find a minority firm that can do the work we need to do. We're in partnership with a group out of, out of Michigan to do a development. 
but I don't want the traditional where they do 10, 15%. I need you to find somebody that can do the job, just 100% of the job. So we got interviewed um, and, and Lee approached us, would you want to be considered? And I said, sure. It was a $50 million project at the time. It was the biggest project we ever were given exposure to. And, but he said, you're going to be a fair consideration. If you can do it, if you can make a case, you can do it. We're, we're going to look at you hard. So they brought in the developer with their partner um, out of Michigan, and they interviewed us. And they came to our office and asked a bunch of questions, of which we said, this is terrible. We're never going to get the job. They asked a question, have you ever done a shopping center before? We, ne- we had never done one. <laughs> and our answer was no. Have you ever done a project of over $50 million before? And the answer was no. <laughs> and at the end of the presentation, we're all sad, but they said, well, that's, yeah, that's good. Let me tell you why. When we design our shopping centers, we have a, we have a, a person that leads that effort. And we don't want you designing something that's different than we know we want to achieve. So we're going we're gonna to use, we're going to set up a, our own designer to design this shopping center that you're going to take from that design direction and complete. But the fact that you never did a $50 million project, it means we're going to be the most important client in your office. Is that, that true? I said, yes, that's true. You're going to be, and, and so we're going to get more attention than you would give another project because we're the biggest thing in your office. And we were hired. The only reason we were considered is because Les Wexner put a man- mandate out. I want to see minority con- being part of our project, not just doing a percentage. So they were looking at us to do the lead, take the whole project, and run with it. And our chance came because he, he did that. Now, what that did is it leveraged other $50 million projects. Because now we've done $50 million projects. Now we've done retail. And it gave us the ability to compete for other work we never would have had the opportunity had we not given, been given that first. Mm-hmm. And, and so those things are very, very important because some, you got to start somewhere. You got yeah. to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really been an interesting uh, year to say the least. Um, and, you know, you and I have been engaged in conversations at the Columbus Partnership and in the community at large around DEI and trying to really figure out how we can, you know, elevate this thinking and really Mm -hmm. make the change that still needs to be made. You know, one of the things that I really uh, learned over the past year um, is I fell into a category of somebody who thought because I really cared Mm -hmm. about doing things the right way and was trying to do things the right way in the way I knew that I was not doing as much as I could. And, you know, there was like a little guilt about that because I felt like, man, you know, I I just didn't even know what I, what else I could be doing, but I wasn't doing enough. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of really great conversations to learn and we have you know brought in consultants and really committed to being a part of the solution you know what what I learned I think it was Robert Livingston's first uh, Columbus partnership visit is that it's up to the people who do care the people that um, do want to m- be a part of the change to do everything you can possibly do to make that happen mm-hmm. and and so I just I just say that because I think that is where there's still such room for improvement. You know, that, that there's just so much more that can be done. You know, that's just been my learning this year. Uh, well, again, those are things that uh, definitely uh, are good for everybody to learn going forward because it, he is absolutely right. Uh, what I found in our career is that, you know, lots of options, but it's the good people that gave us the opportunity that said, hey, we're going to look at them for, can they do the job and forget everything else? We have to do analysis. Of can they perform what we need performed? And we, we're going to contract, let's say, agencies, universities. And they, they're going to award so many projects a year to 
non-minority architects, just because that's who they've been working with and who, who has the experience, who they've got confidence in. But to really take the next step, it's an effort. It's not just, it's going to happen by itself. It, an effort has to take place. Somebody has to say, I'm going to do this because I can, and I believe it's necessary to help. If, if we don't give these opportunities to these other groups, then they don't get the opportunities through the normal course because our people are so structured in doing what they've been doing for years. And the truth of the matter is, what they've been doing for years is successful. It works. It's not like it's a bad thing. They're, they're very confident in what they're doing. The challenge is now those people are a little concerned about, but if I go this other way, am I going am, am to get the same results as I've been getting from a group I've been using? And, and those are the challenges that have to be overcome by people who are, have the mindset of, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make change. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I think that's where you know, it does matter that you're really good at what you do, yeah. right? Because you can get a chance, but you've got to prove that you are as good as what they were using before, yeah. right? Um, because then you know you can continue the relationship, which which obviously you guys are and have done for so long. And I, I, I want to just kind of maybe pivot a little bit to um, another subject I think is interesting. Your son, Jonathan, who I've gotten to know um, and, and is now taking on a prominent role at your, in the business, is, is now working along, alongside with you. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what that's like, you know, family business. It's an interesting dynamic, you know, seeing it kind of go all kinds of ways. Talk to me a little bit about what it's like to work with your son now, another generation at a time like this where, you know, there isn't a, a, a kind of a, um, there's an importance to generational leadership mm-hmm. of, of you know, both his age, your age. I mean, this is a time where you guys are both really being called on to shine as leaders mm-hmm. in the community. Mm-hmm. Well, what, one thing is, um, and, and uh, just a little tidbit, Jonathan w- did not expose he, what he even was interested in architecture until he's ready to graduate from high school. So we were at church, my wife and I, and they had a, a and each student that was graduating had to give past, present, and future. So he talked about past, going fishing with the family and that kind of stuff. Present, he was, you know, a football player at Northland. Future, he was going to, he was going to go into architecture and take over his father's firm. That was that was news. <laughs> spoken to me about it. Never spoke to my wife. We looked at each other, and it was like, where did this come from? Because I was exposed to all this, of course, but. I just never saw interest. He said he didn't want to. He didn't want the pressure. He said he didn't want to tell anybody this is what he really wanted to do. And so that was a great surprise. Later in, in, in the last several years, as a matter of fact, it goes back almost 10 years. We as partners, partners in our firm says, do you see your replacement anywhere in the firm? If you had to be replaced, is there somebody that you're grooming that could be you? And do what you do, do it good, as good as or better. And I, and I said, well, Jonathan is the one that I'm going to groom. Now, Jonathan was in California. He, was, he just got married out in California working for a competitor. And I didn't know, I've got to get him back here. I pressured Jonathan, and I want you to move back to Columbus. And you can go to California every now and then. Uh, and he, he did come back. So, uh, so he's been working alongside me for 10 years uh, before he became CEO. And uh, the the other partners knew this was in the cards. So we actually, you know, that program worked. And today, the good thing is, is I found that it's of my benefit and his benefit that I didn't just take the firm and gone. That uh, working together has its benefits because with his new ideas, I'm getting to see you know, okay, yeah, yeah, it's good. That's that's something we should be looking at. I didn't look at it before, but something. And on his end, he's getting to see, no, 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 Jonathan, don't do this because I already know the results are possible. The, the, the bad thing could happen if you take this approach. From And I know that from experience. So he gets the, that information. Yeah. 
So it, 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 you know, it's worked very well. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's been fun to watch him emerge and take that role and, and still seeing the two of you working together. It's, it's great to watch. I got to see your TED talk, oh, which yeah. uh, feels like it's been a while because, uh, you know, being in an auditorium, listening to speakers, well, yeah, that's true. you know, feels like it's probably longer than it has. But, you know, you shared a really good story. You've been through a lot in recent years, uh, mm -hmm. battle with cancer, mm -hmm. um, you know, also uh, the the Legacy House, mm -hmm. um, you know, is, is a really exciting project. Just talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you've been through. And, and, and you know, I'm also kind of curious to hear what it was like to share that story, uh, mm -hmm. you know, on that stage for you. Frightening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm used to presenting to, you know, boards and committees and all that. No problem. It's totally different to, to be in an auditorium with those people out there that you've never met. They don't know. They don't have any idea that they're not, architecture not important to all of them. Anyway, so it's, a, it's your life story, and it's tough because I was very emotional about the cancer. It hadn't been that long uh, that when I took that stage that I had gone through that. And how it came about was just surprise. So I'd gone through the chemo treatment, and as I was going through, uh, there's a process that when you get completed, you ring a bell. You go and ring this bell that you finish your last chemo treatment and all that. And I kept trying to think during the time, you know, this is, is, there's a lesson to be learned here too. So what is the lesson I need to learn? And it reinforced a lesson I had learned before. And that's when I said about the, the, the phrase I created about do what you can, when you can, with what you got, while you got it. Because it's the closest I ever came to death. Because the prognosis was you got to overcome this or you're going to keep advancing. And so looking at that and then doing this TED talk and having in, in, in the talk, recalling that situation, you know, it's in, in communicating that to an audience it, that it's hard to talk about cancer in general. When you hear that word, I'm, I told him, like, when, when he, the doctor told me I had that, had that, I don't remember anything else he said. She had to remember what else he told me I needed to do because it was just shock. And, uh, uh, but of course she is very supportive along the way and, um, uh, all the family members were, uh, but coming out of that, I had already predetermined to do the legacy house and we did get asked a question. Why, why don't you just stop it? Because you're sick. You don't know if you're going to make it out of this. So why go through this exercise and spend the money and all that? And I said, no, no, no. I said, yeah, you're right. I don't know how much time I do have. So. I have to use the time I got. And, and therefore, we proceeded with the Legacy House. And again, the Legacy House, for me, was a challenge of, there are people that, uh, you know, as you know, doing affordable housing is, is great. But affordable is only affordable to a certain segment of people. There are those below that, that in their lifetime probably will never have ownership because their pathway, if you're working as a cook in a restaurant, and you're barely making minimum wage, and you're paying your, your bills to accumulate funds for a down payment as you go through a special program. And your income can only be a certain amount. And, and, and let's say you, you're paying uh, $500 a month for an apartment, and that's all you can afford with everything else. And you're going to get a house that maybe is $1,000 a month, and you're, I don't know how you're going to do it. So we decided to spend the money on making somebody a gift that they wouldn't have that chance otherwise from the, unless they had to give. So I didn't stop all the other charitable, you know, gifts that were given to American Cancer Society and the Heart Society and, you know, uh, all of those other programs. We just didn't buy as many tables, didn't buy as many seats, didn't buy as many golf outings to put money aside for the Legacy House and, mm -hmm. uh, and committed to it. We're doing it in every, every office we have. Yeah, I think it's really great. What I, I there's a bunch there that I love about it, but one of the things that I love, I mean, obviously you're you're providing housing for people in need that couldn't afford it, and there's a lot of ways to do that. Like you said, none of them are easy, sadly, 
you know, a lot of them require, um, you know, really uh, great assistance, you know, mm-hmm. whether that be charitable or government or whatever, right? But what I loved about the Legacy House was you brought a design solution to it as well. You know, you, you brought a really sim- simple design that would be efficient to own, right? But also mm-hmm. that was, you know, and this is maybe just my preference, like really attractive. You know, it's mm-hmm. very contemporary. It felt very forward thinking. It, it felt like the kind of thing, which, which is my belief, that, that design and architecture can really make an impact on a neighborhood and the people's lives that live in it. You know, mm-hmm. that, that people can drive by it. People can see it. They can feel like there is change, that there is upward mobility, the experience of being in it where there's light and mm-hmm. openness. And, you know, it, it just changes your being and, and, and has a real opportunity to make an impact in people's lives and in the community around. And that to me was, I think, as impactful as just the idea, which, you know, which, is, a, which is a phenomenal idea to begin with. But how you went about it, and I think this is something that I hope others will follow along with, that the, the belief that design and architecture, and I've been trying to pound this drum here locally, mm-hmm. that you know, there's, it's economic development, yeah. you know? Um, that this is this is you know how we attract people to our communities. They want something that feels good, looks good, that inspires them, has the right amount of sunlight, energy, you know, etc. Um, you know, tell me about that. You know, was that was that part of your strategy here? Well, yeah, absolutely. What when we when I got the team together and I said we're going to do this, we're going to do this. We, we didn't know what it was going to look like at the time. But I said, here's some, some parameters. And, and I did concepts. I did sketches. And I had my design team do sketches. We said, it's going to be small, purposely. Because whoever we give this house to probably hasn't had one before. And to maintain it, if it's too big, it's going to be just junk everywhere because of piling up stuff. Let's, let's do a compact, very, uh, very... And I said contemporary design because... It's just noted that in neighborhoods, especially uh, that, especially in minority communities, normally don't see the the freshness of very contemporary design. It's just it's just not there. And I said we got to do something that any one of us, as a as especially emerging professional, uh, it would be a house you wanted. If I could have that house, oh, you know, or I'd like to have that house. So we didn't want it to look like it was for poor people. The one that looked like it was for uh, somebody graduating out of college that was really looking for something that was modern, wasn't you know dated, and therefore that was the approach we took. And, um, and, and but we did say we got to do some of the traditional thinking from a standpoint of people used to sit out in their front porch and they used to greet other people as they walked down the street. I said so we need to create a big porch so that they can sit out there and entertain and then wave to their wave to their neighbors and friends and. And so we did those kinds of things, but we, we, we went contemporary knowing that, that in those neighborhoods, especially where we, where we had the property, normally don't see that kind of work. And it was interesting. During construction, we had a bunch of kids come by and they kept saying, oh, we wish we lived in that house. Yeah. And because they don't get exposed yeah. to anything else. Right. It was, it was nice. Yeah, it, it kind of just um, reminds me, you know, to kind of see the full circle here, you know, that that in, in some way, hopefully, maybe you're showing a kid something that they haven't seen before in their lifetime in their neighborhood that all of a sudden they can say, you know, maybe like you would have liked to have seen, yeah. right, a black architect, oh. you know, they can see a house that, you know, get, lets them feel like, you know, I have a chance to to live in that house. I, I now know it exists, and and I'd like to live there someday. And you know, if that happens, look what's possible. I mean, look what's happened with with you and your life and your career. And yeah, thank you for uh, sharing all of that with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's uh it's great to kind of hear the full story. And and um, you know, like I said, and and 
have read in your bio, there's there's all kinds of you know tremendous accolades which you can read about. But to kind of really hear, you know, the journey and the story, uh, I think is really important. Means a lot to me. Any kind of final thoughts or anything else you want to share before we start to wrap up? Uh, uh, one one uh, last thing, a little bit of something that happened um, to us. Uh, that's a very positive thing, and that is, you know, we're we're very understanding that role models. We we can be a role model to those just those kind of kids that you were just talking about, and other firms. Quite frankly, we were fortunate that. Um, uh, AIA, American Institute of Architects, named us as the 2021 Firm of the Year for the nation. That had never been accomplished by an African-American firm, let alone a Ohio firm. Part of the, the rationale, and we, when we were presenting uh, and everything was submitted to the committee and they were considered firms around the country, one thing they picked up amongst themselves, this was the other firms, they said, many of us need to push our firms to have a similar makeup as you have achieved because we, we're, by large firm standards, not by numbers, but by percentage, we're the most diverse architectural practice of large firms in the nation because of the number of percentage of women and, and, and minority staff members that we have. And no one else has ever achieved in this profession those kind of percentages on a consistent basis. And so they cited that as one of the values that they felt we brought, that we were an example of bringing people together of diverse cultures that should be duplicated in other practices. So, uh, uh, So again, I didn't have that as we talked earlier in my beginning. I didn't have a firm to look like that you could achieve any milestone like this. And for us to be representing that now is absolutely a, a blessing for us that we hope to do it justice as we move forward. So, yeah, it, it's not just a um, blessing for you. I mean, you really are modeling for all firms what it looks like to be diverse. It doesn't have to be an African-American owned firm right. to be diverse, right. Right. right? You have minorities women, you know, people of color, and, and, and that doesn't matter who owns the firm, all firms, all companies, all organizations. I mean, this is the model. And for that, I commend you and appreciate the, the leadership. Well, I thank you for uh, allowing me a few minutes to talk, talk about my past, present, and future. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Kurt. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Say hi to Jonathan. Appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Same here, Brett. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 